David, I can't believe it's taken us five years to finally win an award. But now we have. It's time to implement the original master plan. Sell out to sponsors? Yes! And that's why we've obviously chosen our natural sponsor, an online food takeaway service. Thanks, Food Hub. Those lovely people at Food Hub have given us all the takeaways we want so we can make you fat by downloading the Food Hub app. Right now, David and I are sat in a bathtub of Vindaloo. With some spicy meatballs. Unlike other services, Food Hub supports independent and not charging a commission to the restaurant. This means buying from Food Hub is on average 15% cheaper than its rival with the same meal. And there's no service charge added to your bill like those other thieving bastards like to do. So download the Food Hub app for exclusive offers and deals from participating restaurants and get 15% off your first order with the code FYB15. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? You're gonna download the Food Hub app! They're bad, they're boys, and occasionally they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back, baby, come back. Put the bye, 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 put the bye, 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 bye. I must admit I was a clone to be messing around, but that doesn't mean that you have to leave town. Come back. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello, how are you? I am good, I'm good. We have a third voice. What's happening? It's Halloween. Have <laughs> <laughs> we got a stalker? They've, they've hacked us. Actually, any time that we record on this podcast, it's an open, an open link. So in theory, anyone could join at any time. We've never closed it because we can't be asked. But it's, it seems like we've been infiltrated. Who go there? Who go there? Uh, yeah, it is uh, the new bad boy running coach. Whoa, say what? Say what? Has, it got, has, has, has it got a name? Can you hear us, coach? Speak to us if you're there. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, I've been kept under wraps for at least 10 days now. I've been isolation, couldn't say anything about it. Just like COVID lockdown, isn't it? But... For, uh, for coaching me. Well, D-Bads, firstly, listen, welcome to Bad Boy Running. We normally do a little bit of catch up before we then introduce the guest, but actually we wanted to do a, an episode all about coaching and having a running coach and the industry and what it means to be a running coach. But also we wanted to feature Gary because Run Strong and everything he's done is brilliant in its own right. So we thought we combine it in one long catch up with Gary and then go into coaching at the end of that. So, um, so firstly, welcome, Gary. Um, Tell us, tell us about your kind of journey into, you know, what is Rods runs from the fact that you're hilarious on Instagram. Is, is that to promote stuff? Is that just because you think you want to be a voice against the industry? Like, tell us, tell us your journey. Um, yeah, uh, well, so coaching wise, uh, it was I was basically a nine stone personal trainer. So when you're a nine stone personal trainer, you attack <laughs> it runs a bit. You just attract a certain person. When I started out, what sort of person? <laughs> well, I'm not attracting the rugby lads, basically, on the gym floor. Um, so it's basically runners. So I just attracted and worked with runners from the off the bat in a gym, 
um, as a running coach. But well, you were a runner at the time. Yes. Um, yeah, and the, the story behind that was I was kind of, I was getting into running quite well and stuff like this. I was already, I knew I was going to be a running coach, but I needed a way in. So, um, but the weekend before I had my first kind of role on the gym floor, I was in that Snowden mountain race and I broke both arms. So, <gasps> both, both elbows. Let's um, rewind. How took, how do you do that? Well, I, I fell. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, I was hoping you'd say one at a time because that would be you, probably what did you fall on? Did you fall on your elbows? Did you put them out to protect you? Yeah, <laughs> you so you, I was running down down the mountain and you just, I assumed I just switched off a little bit, relaxed, and I hit one of the like iron rivets that pack in the trail. Um, mm. Then I don't really know a lot about it, but people that saw it just imagine like full handstand position straight into the floor. Um, you tried to backflip out of it? I don't 100% know because I kind of... I looked down and my knees were, one of my knees were cut open and you just, I've sprinted down to the finish, but my arms were just stuck like this. So I didn't know I'd broken them until the next morning when I went to, finally went to the hospital. And uh, yeah, the nurse just took, like the triage nurse said, like, where have you been? <laughs> and then just at the hotel, said, well, clinically you've broken both elbows, but I'll send you for x-ray just to make sure, but they are broken. Did you um, not go to bed and think, this is weird? Like. This really hurts. What oh, it was horrendous. Like, I, I sat, it was a hot day and I sat on hay bale, but they just had like shitty St. John's. Can, can you swear on this? Yeah. Oh, St. yeah. St. John's ambulance. St. John's ambulance there. And the guy came over, got both of my hands because I was in pain, but he got both of my hands and just like went like that. You can't see that, can you? So, <laughs> it's yanked them. <laughs> shook my hands and I jumped out the seat and he said, right, um, yeah, here's an ice pack. So I went to the pub. What was he and trying to discover by that? It's St. John's Ambulance. I mean, they're great, aren't they? But they're great if you've, like, raised your knee, not broken your arms, I imagine. So um, I just didn't think they were broken because there was nothing sticking out or anything like that. And um, it was later than in the middle of the night we were in the hotel, and it was like an old hotel with round doorknobs, you know, like those guys. <laughs> I just couldn't go to the toilet, couldn't do anything. And it was, yeah, it was my wife just said, I'm taking you to the hospital. That The, the next morning, the, <laughs> So I'm sat, like they had all the teams there and everything, and we were sat in the hotel the next morning. And the thing that made me go to hospital is I couldn't <laughs> couldn't get a sausage in my mouth. Was, oh, right. <laughs> okay, now we've really got this priority, isn't it? <laughs> so I was at the breakfast table, and I had a sausage, like, dangling in front of my face, and I just couldn't get it into my mouth. And that was like, right, I'm going to hospital. Um, <laughs> Did you end yeah. up with one of those... Cause... It's in pretty much every sitcom of the 1970s and 80s. Is someone with both arms broken walking around yeah. in a massive cast? No. So, so the doctor that like he was like, yeah, they're broken, um, and then it was what we're going to do with them. And because I was in, I was in okay spirits, and he was quite a good la laugh. He was like, do you mind if I bring some of the other nurses in? To laugh at so you. Then, basically, because <laughs> they didn't really know what to do with it, so they just put me in two slings. And essentially said, see how you get on. Um, and that was it. Just sent me off in two slings. And then I just had to go back a couple of times. But it was, we found out it was dislocated and all sorts. I had some tr trouble after it. Uh, but yeah, so from that, the following week, I was due on the gym floor trying to look for clients and stuff like that. It's not Were you trying to fly her with two broken arms? <laughs> I was, you know what I did? I like just sat in a cafe all day for about five days talking to 
talking to the women basically that only go there for the coffees and uh once they healed a bit then i had this massive kind of pool of people that i that wanted to train with me so it, so i did all right out of it in the end yeah Oh, you that's got a sympathy, sympathy vote, yeah. Sympathy vote, and yeah, and I just bought them coffees for about two weeks, and then it was like, right, the fix now. They were. This is this is like when Joe Wicks broke his wrist during PE with Joe. We all know he didn't really. No, we just, just think he was super cool. No, 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 no. It's not like that. <laughs> I've not heard of her so, though. <laughs> so, whenever you have you broken anything since then? Like, has, has there ever been a lull patch in your your clients since you've thought I'd better take a knee out or something to? use a recruitment no, um, I've never earlier earlier on uh, when I played football and stuff I used to break bones and things like that I don't I'm yeah I've not broken anything to be honest uh, yeah I've been okay <laughs> so is there what is the difference then between a, a PT and a run coach like, did you do any specialization or different training so be, before I mean, you'd have to rewind a bit. So why I got into running is kind of the story in itself. Um, so so I moved, I lived in a small village in Wales. It was quite a tough kind of village. Um, did a bit of job hopping, didn't really do anything. Um, and I was basically just wasting my time working in bars, things like this. Moved to Manchester to be a hairdresser. And back then... Hey. Yeah, so I worked for Tony and Guy, Nicky Clark, people like this in Manchester quite and did quite well as a hairdresser. Um, but when I'd moved to Manchester, I didn't know anyone. And I was used to having a big group of friends, didn't have any friends, didn't have any money. So I just started running down the Manchester canals um, and I was running more and running more and running more. And then I met a girl, Charlotte, and um, we hit it off. She was in Leicester Uni. So my plan was, I'd never done a race or anything, but I saw that there was Leicester Marathon. So I thought, I'll enter, I'll enter that. And then I've got, well, I've got to stay there, basically. <laughs> so, so I had to stay at her house. That was the only reason for doing it. So I could stay the night for the first time. That no. so clever. You could have done a 5K race. Well, yeah. Well, it was Leicester. She was in uni. And I thought it would impress her. Like, obviously, girls at 20 years of age, back, especially back then, were, she wasn't impressed at all. Um, but I did stay the night. Now we're married with two kids and stuff. So, no. wow. <laughs> that, that was my way into running. But I remember just getting beat by a bunch of old guys, as everyone does, in their short shorts. And I was like, this is this is not right. I'm, I'm a half-decent footballer. Why are all these old men beating me? <laughs> and I just got addicted to learning about running. And that was it. Bang. Um, I was off. And so then, did you did you go into the, the the training? Like, do you need to get qualified to be a run coach, or was that something that you just felt would help with credibility? <laughs> you need one thing. Well, you need two things. You need a social media account, and you okay. need to say running coach. Yeah. So I'm just, halfway there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the same as personal training. Uh, yeah. So you don't need a personal training qualification. You do if you want to get insured and work in a gym, but there's no, it's it's not um, what am I, what am I trying to say? You, you don't mandatory. Need yeah, it's not mandatory. Like mm. you two can set yourself up as a PT. I can't set myself up as you can't set yourselves up as an electrician, can we, or a surgeon? But you can just call yourself a PT. Oh, um, you can call yourself a doctor. Probably, like she Dr. probably Dre. told me that. Yeah. Or Dr. What Fox. was that? You can call yourself a doctor, like Dr. Dre or Dr. Fox. 
Well, two, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. You'd probably be better off, if I'm honest. But um, so run, running coaching is kind of like that. It's different. It, got to think like the old school running coaching was mm. um, get your England athletics coaching and or whatever, Welsh or whatever athletics. And you will need that if you want to go and coach face to face in front of people at the track for a club. Um, but then there's lots of there's lots of people that have got, trained Olympic athletes that have got not one certificate because um, they just don't believe in that system. It's a pretty crappy system, to be honest. You come out of it with uh, not a lot of knowledge that you need. And it's the same. I saw the same in personal training. So I have done the very basic one. And then after that, I was like, this is crap. And just and I spent my time with mentors and coaches instead. Um, See, that's really interesting because I get asked by people if I will coach them and I don't mm, do the, hey man, let's go and do intervals because I'm shit at that. So I do the, let's talk about why you run and all that sort of stuff and give them a little cuddle every now and again, and a bit of like mental help. But I don't want to describe yes. myself as a coach because I don't have any qualifications and I feel mm. like people will think I'm charlatan. Like, but, but then I also gonna, think... Yeah, but people are asking for your help. So it's not that you're charlatan. You're only a charlatan if you're, if you're like almost like stepping out of your lane. You only know what you know, right? If yeah, you tell yeah. people that, that's fine. If you start telling people stuff that is is maybe not true or you're just making it out of thin air, then you can kind of come unstuck, I think. Uh, but, yeah, so I spent my time with coaches, mentors, um, people in, like, move, the movement and technique world. That was what I wanted to get more knowledge on, first of all. Uh, and, and that's what led me to the I, – I was already coaching people before I went to personal training, to be honest. Um, yeah, but it was the personal training was almost like a way out. Uh, so where did the co- where did the coaching come from then? Who was the first person that you coached, and how did it come about? Face to face, or yeah, so face to face. So how it kind of worked is um, when I was a personal trainer, I quite quickly knew that if you come and see me once a week in the gym, I'm not mm. going to really change your life. So back then, I was emailing them and texting them and it was the support and stuff outside of that yeah and because I like the talking and the stories and stuff like that it would be Ali would come for a session with me but then I'd sit with them for half an hour in the coffee shop afterwards and plan their week and and I was charging more but charging more as a monthly fee but then I didn't need to see as many people and stuff um Mm -hmm. I had a mentor in business that helped me with all this stuff and and all that kind of thing so it's I was coaching runners as a personal trainer and then but I always knew right once I build up this amount of people x amount of people I don't want to be paying 500 plus pound a month to this gym I'm just going to move it outside move it outdoors um and that's what I did so I moved outdoors as a as a coach and and built the built a local running club um but it was different it was me coaching them so there was none of this like stand for beginners club at 6 p.m. and then beginners club is just a shorter distance, but everyone still runs off. <laughs> Whereas me coaching and technique, movement, um, strength, and all that kind of stuff, but mainly beginners, um, almost complete beginners. So it was the people that were from in the gym uh, were now outdoors really. So uh, are you saying beginning to running or beginning to exercise? A bit of both. So it was. A lot of the time, people will want to get fit or lose weight or be a bit more healthy, and they will think, right, let's start running. Yeah, like as a running coach, like the the fact of the matter is, if someone's quite a bit overweight, running might not be the best start for them. 
but it's not that they can't run it's just i need to teach them some kind of basic principles of how we're going to get you running safely uh stuff like that and if someone wants to lose weight like it's kind of i can make that easier for them outside of running running is almost like the anchor for them to keep doing what they're doing because I, I do get a, I do get a sense at the moment that there, because there seem to be so many running coaches. And as you said, maybe 10 years ago, the only coaches I knew were either attached to a club. And, and, and that in some ways is, is, a, is a good thing for setting people's expectations of what training is, how to train. Um, because it's it's based around the training activities of the club, so, which gives some structure. But now it does seem that a lot of running coaches are coming out of people who have built up social media followings in the hope of something, potentially not found what they were looking for and decided, how can I monetize this? I get asked lots of questions because people assume I know a lot because I've got a lot of followers. And they then, and, and I think Instagram also, you have to almost give a you can't just paste a photo, a photo saying i'm running again you have to impart some kind of wisdom some kind of cliche as to why you're posting that again and so i think people have almost become trapped in this um this spiral upwards of now i've got these what am i going to do ah people ask me questions ah i'm going to coach and so we've we've come from a place where 10 years ago everyone came through a club system where they may not it might not be as good or not everyone might agree with the england athletics training but at least people have been surrounded by runners who've gone through who have got people there in their 60s who've done years of training people who are new and have that environment and context to people who just happen to be good at instagram and now saying i'm a coach Seriously, seriously, how this is one of the things that pisses me off. I've got like a knot in, of anxiety in my stomach as you talk about it. The amount of yeah. people that I know that describe themselves in their bios as endurance runner or endurance coach. And, I, and there's, this is an actual person I'm talking about who I've been like, really, are you? And I went on the Strava. They, are, they say they're a professional endurance runner. They've run 683 miles this year. Not because they're injured, because yeah. they just don't. And, they, and they've done a couple of ultras and they suddenly think they're the world authority. And they're talking about nutrition, they're talking about training, literally a couple of ultras. And you're just, I'm just like, I'm sorry, but what you're doing is so dangerous because you don't, mm. you haven't got the experience. And even when I talk to people, I'm not a coach. I'm like, this was my experience. It might be different for you, but my advice for me, for what I did is this, you have to be so mm. careful. But now there are thousands of them. And it's like, it's just confusing and a little bit yes. dangerous. What you're seeing now in Instagram and everything with running coaching is what essentially what was happening in the fitness industry and personal training 10, 15 years ago kind of thing. Yeah, mm. so you, you're right. If you like, if you if you're if you if you build up a following, which a lot of people did early doors with Instagram, and you and it's like you say, how do I monetize it? You can quite quickly tell because coaching is slightly different. If if I'm coaching Ali and I'm speaking to a regularly and i'm adjusting the plan and things like this yeah and i'm asking her about how the sessions went and we and the, and the plan takes different forms that's kind of the basics of coaching for me that's why i don't really well i've been i've never sold a one-off plan yeah if i just had a hundred thousand followers 
and I stick some plans on that you could get from anywhere on my website and then you sell them at a low price, then that's how you monetize in a big a big following. It's not it's not necessarily coaching, but you just call yourself a running coach, don't you? That was it's one of the biggest it's like what I keep saying, people ask me how do I become a running coach and I jokingly say, just call yourself a running coach. I, I'm lucky. I was probably like you two, or at least like like Hellard. It's like I went through learning about running, finding out about running, getting better at running myself, having coaches, working with people. I went through all this before social media. So I, you've got to take that into account as well. There's people now, they come into running and Instagram and Facebook and stuff is already in their face. Um, I didn't have any of that. To go and find an ultra marathon, when I went to do an ultra marathon, it was, it was like something on the dark web. You're trying to go on these weird yeah. forums with all these old guys. <laughs> trying to find a race um, and, and that's kind of how you learn and that's how you brought up and that's the, almost that's where you got your knowledge from now you've just got it's like Chinese whispers you've got Instagram coaches and things like this and it's not everyone but at the same time I'm I think everyone should have to list their CV as in jobs because like it's not just me but I work as a full-time running coach I do it full-time most people they're working 40 hours in the office kind of thing they've got a family they've got all this other stuff but on their instagram it just says running coach or athlete like hang on a minute you work 40 hours for the council first kind of thing so it's it's one or the other and it's not that they can't be a running coach but there's got to be some transparency as well because i think my my biggest fear i've coached two people to date and that's because they've you know they've really asked and have um, you coached or groomed coaching <laughs> <laughs> you think i've only groomed two people come on you know me better than that they're both on this floor <laughs> <laughs> and the, the the first person i coached i actually made um a couple of really schoolboy fundamental mistakes and the, the first thing i just forgot is you know go and actually check which trainers you should be wearing and the I, I it made me realize that actually i'm incredibly good as a coach for me and i while i feel i've got this bro broader experience of lots of people's running and stories and tales and and, and seeing people go through different training plans actually that that is why i'd almost fear becoming a full-time coach but also also why something like england athletics you need that brought that that formal broadening of your knowledge and experience and following that experience now if someone said to me can you do me a, a coach to 5k plan i'd say no you know i've got zero experience of that i really don't understand let alone what your body goes through but mentally you know that state of mind because you're battling a completely different motivation to anything i have um yeah and 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 i think that so if you if you were to advise people on if they're thinking about getting a coach have you got any tips on how they should assess the people in their network who may all be saying that they're coaches yeah i mean like the, the truth is, like you say, there's there's loads of good uh, coaches out at the athletics tracks and things like that in the clubs. Yeah, I've I've met them, I've worked with them, and they're brilliant. Um, 
a lot of the time the bottom line is that they're a volunteer and they're going to go there and, they're, and, they're, and they would do as many hours as they can um, but then when you go home you haven't got that support so it's like what outcome do you want from the coaching yeah if you're someone that can just follow a plan for 12 16 weeks without support kind of thing then you can either one just get a plan from somewhere that someone else has said is good and try it and try it yourself or yes you can just go along with the with the training from the club and if you're consistent with anything you, you will you will get better so i think the, the, like the coaching for me only really comes into play is if you need support accountability um and, and being part of a different kind of club atmosphere if you're intimidated by the clubs and things like that or if you've had a poor experience but if then if you look at it like that it's like well what kind of coach will be best for me is it someone that's going to be on my case every single day on mm. a training platform training peaks or is it someone that's just available on whatsapp um and then a lot of it just then comes down to just rec recommendation i guess if you've got friends i think there's a lot the way we're moving everything is being personalized everyone want, wants a coach kind of thing um not everyone needs a coach there's plenty of people that can just go out and do their thing so i would just always ask like what outcome do you want from having a coach and that will help and it's you're right actually it's interesting because you would never call your personal trainer your coach because they are training you you go in and, and they are more physically you know forcing you to do those extra weights those extra games the pull-ups whereas a coach is it it's taken from the language of professional athletes where they are overseeing but mm. they're not necessarily yeah but they're looking at the bigger picture and yeah. they're not necessarily forcing you to do every session um, but we're as humans we're shit at making decisions yeah mm. we make the wrong mm. we make way more wrong decisions than we make right decisions i've got a coach one because i like the learning and stuff like that um but also because because if i've got a coach like you say he's got a broader picture of what i'm doing um if it was left up to me even with what i know i'm confident that i would be making the wrong decisions in my training all the time um that's about that's what how i look at it do you think that because you are a coach that helps you to coach yourself and that you've got to kind of motivate and inspire and make other people accountable so that kind of makes you accountable for yourself yeah i feel as in training wise and stuff just in as in life wise like it just helps you to be a bit less procrastinating and a bit more get on with it yeah well so i'm so kind of I've I've done way more work on like what you'd call personal development and mindset and things like that outside of running than I have done as in run coaching as in people coaching me yeah because running for me personally is is the anchor to everything else because before that when I was in Manchester and stuff but yeah I was making loads of wrong decisions I was going nowhere really and then the running comes along and it was I have no discipline everywhere else like but this gives me discipline and I don't need motivation to go out when it's cold, wet and that kind of stuff because I enjoy it. Um, and a lot of people that put themselves into it or they think they need the motivation all the time kind of think, well, maybe you need to choose something else because you shouldn't need to feel motivated. Mm. Like, these words like I have to, I need to, I've got to, yeah. You don't have to or need to do any of those things. So you never associate those kind of words with stuff that you enjoy right so it's either the running that you don't enjoy or it's the type of running that you're not enjoying right now so yeah i, I, can't I think you're that. right as well in and, and 
what is interesting about those motivations is just in people's experience with running it does change from yeah. you your, what drives you to run more and what you find attractive in as a result of running changes mm. very much year to year um because I, I i imagine the first time you start running and thankfully i just joined the hash which was fun so i never saw running as anything other than really fun and then it developed into something more serious as I, I realized I was you know, reasonably good at it and, and wanted to get more competitive. But if someone's, because we've got a lot of people who listen to the podcast who maybe don't even identify themselves as runners or might actually loathe the, the act of running um, often. Yeah. What would you, for, for someone who's just starting running, like what would you say the main things are if, if they want to do more to, to try and motivate themselves and also um, what kind of targets do you think are good for them to set that are you know achievable but also are going to stretch them yeah and I, I, I kind of go back to if, if when I started running it wasn't because I wanted to win, win a race or any of those kind of things when I started running it was because I'd moved to Manchester had no money but wanted to keep fit it was because I'd moved into a shared house but didn't really want to spend time with them because I didn't know them so I was, just, I was kind of escaping and stuff like this so everyone will fall into running for a reason um so it's just like I said again go back to what outcome do you want from the running yeah how do you want to feel because how you feel is way more important because you can you could take two people and give them the exact same result in a race and one will feel amazing about it and one will feel really down about it so getting a handle on how do I want to feel? Well, I want to feel happier. I want to feel more confident and things like this. So you just either you build sessions that will do that for you or you pick a challenge or a race that will do that for you. And and people just need to realise that they, they need to take the pressure away. Yeah, there's enough stress. There's enough pressure outside of running. So if you're going for running, then all those ne things need to be taken out of it, really. And whether that's just you go for a run with a friend or you start walking with a friend and it turns into a run, things like that. Or you sign up for a challenge that scares you a bit because you haven't done anything like that since you were in school. Yeah. And you've kind of just coasted through life or you've had a family and now you want some more time for you. There's lots of different ways you can come into running. But you need if I knew now what I knew when I started, I wish I'd got a handle on why I started and then reminded myself all the time because you will get into running and before you know it, first 10K you run, what's the first thing you want to do next? I want to run a quicker one. Hell, our first race you ever won. What was the first thing you wanted to do after that? Win another one probably, yeah? But but you need to get back to why you started, I think, a lot of the time. I find, I find that with people that I talk to, I've got a little group on Facebook, Plug, Ultra Awesome, with um, loads <laughs> of people in it that want to run ultras but have no idea or have run ultras or want to, basically have a nice time and want to be a bit inspired to do stuff. And I find that rather than coaching, it's almost rehabilitating them from this idea of yeah. being the fastest or being having to do a club run or having to do this session, that session, or having to eat this or having to not drink that and rehabilitate them into this idea that running doesn't define you, but it, it kind of develops yeah. you. And that's and so you, sh it, you should let it develop you and you should take it all in and take it easy and take your time and, and enjoy it, basically. And if you're not enjoying it, let's work out kind of why yeah. you're not. But I think a lot of people think, you know, it's when people are like, oh, that person's a good runner. And I'm like, what does good mean? Does it mean fast or does it mean 
does it mean they're a good part of the community? Are they a good volunteer? Do they go you know, volunteer at Parkrun? Have they inspired people? Like, the, but people think it's all about speed and pace and being the fastest and doing 100 mile weeks and all that sort of shit. And I just, I just find it a little bit sad because I think a lot of people back off from it or say, I don't like running. It's like, well, that's because you're doing seven and a half minute miles and you've never done it before. <laughs> so you're allowed yeah. to walk. Like, and listen, like I've said this before, it's like we're all shit at running. Yeah, we just like to know who is the fastest out of us all from like the gladiators or whatever it was. But you're saying Bolt couldn't catch a squirrel. So we're all shit at running. Yeah. So when you look at it that way, it's just <laughs> being the fastest. It's, there's always going to be someone faster than you, isn't there? But it's being what people latch onto and what people what will drive people is just getting a bit better or not getting better because that's too broad. Is like making those improvements because people might have a People might be feel like they're stuck in a crap job or they're in a crap relationship and things like that. But if they're progressing in their running, then that's what can give them the confidence back and things like this. And that means progressing as in, like Khalad said, going from zero to 5K or running their first mile. Yeah. When you, when you see someone in person physically running nonstop for the first time a mile and see how, what it means to them compared to someone like running running a two and a half hour marathon, it's, it's kind of, I take the, the run and running the mile for the first time every time. I remember what it felt like. And although that might have felt easy to me, it doesn't feel easy for the, a lot of people. And, and, and do, you think, do you think that since Instagram, for example, and social media and, and Strava, where it's far easier to compare ourselves to others, specifically with times and running are has that changed what people see as a realistic goal are, are people now losing patience with how long it takes to to run a long distance or to get fast or to improve yeah i think so like instagram you've got to think of it like social media in general, we all know that it it can be brilliant at times. I think it can be brilliant, but it can also be the worst place ever at times. If you're one of these, I, think, I just think it's not for everyone either. Yeah. If you if you fly off the handle at stuff, if you get really emotional about stuff that you see, then you maybe need to take yourself out of it a bit more. Yeah, because it's not the best place. Um, comparison comparison to people that you've never met and you probably never will meet is it's it's not good for you is it <laughs> really um what you should be compared you can compare yourself to your friends like we've done that since year dot haven't we i always want to beat my friend um but you don't need social media for that if you start looking at someone else's life through instagram especially their running life um it's 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 not what it seems is it um and you're comp if I'm a four hour marathon runner and I'm jealous of the three and a half hour marathon runner, it's it's ridiculous because there's a four and a half hour ma <laughs> marathon runner behind you thinking the same thing. But there's also so many variables. I think I might have said this in another podcast, but during lockdown, when I was running a lot, I decided that uh, I was going to compare myself to someone, which I always tell people not to do. Never compare yourself Who to was anyone. It? Who was it? It was Susie Chan, right? And just <laughs> FYI, me and Susie. The real best, one? Or... No, no, the real one. We're best mates now. She's, she's going to crew me at South Downs Way 100. They're like best mates. But I, said, so I was looking at her. Damn. I was looking at her and I was like, why is she saying this is an easy run when it's eight and a half minute miles? Fuck me, man. She's going out and doing, you know, these 
10 mile runs at like eight minute miles and saying it's an easy run. I'm a fucking shit runner. And I, I don't know what it was, but it got in my head. And I remember Julia saying to me, you know that she lives where well, she lives, right? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, have you seen her elevation? It's like 35 foot in a 10 mile run. And you're living in the Mendips doing 3000 foot. And it's that sort of thing that you don't look at and it's, you don't see those bits. And so it's completely ludicrous comparing yourself to anyone unless you literally have all the fucking facts in front of you. And with social media, you never have but if, facts if you've all. got all the facts, you might just be worse. I mean, that that's the reality. If, that if we're going I'm just lazy. Com- I'm, I'm not saying you specifically, but if we compare ourselves to other people, I mean, I, I, I've run enough now that I, I understand my speed and I know that there is an upper limit to how good I can get. And it's not that good compared to what I'd like to be. And that's fine because you know i we all have that upper limit it's the reason why some people are world champions and some people aren't it's not just hard work because a lot of people can work hard um but you do have the you are confined partly by time partly but a lot of it is just physically um um, yeah i mean you've got most amateur triathletes are training 20 to 30 hours a week yeah so if mm, it was just time spent then they would all be the best athletes in the world. So it, it, you're right, it's not that. You have got an upper limit, but, I mean, <laughs> the majority of people are nowhere near that. Um, but, it, yeah, it, it comes down to if, if, if you're on Instagram, you should be on there for a reason as well, I think, whether it's just to chill out for a bit and things like that. Um, if you're, yeah, you can just <laughs> you can just delete anyone that you are kind of comparison yourself to because unless they're your friend how in reality how many times you're going to meet them yeah like if if you weren't a best mate now how many times would you actually race against Susie Chan I've never raced against anyone (laughs) well I got I got pitted against someone in the Grand Slam and I've given up on that now because it made me feel shit and I think the second one of the hundreds I came like three minutes after her I spent the next two weeks literally being like, Ali, you're a fucking piece of shit. There is no point in you running hundreds anymore. Why did I do that? Yeah. It's because you're scaring yourself into thinking, no, I might actually be good at this. Yeah. And then if I'm quite good at this, if you win a race or something, then then other pressures come in. Because once you win a race or you do very well at a race, then then a the bit of pressure will be on you next time. And you, you don't want that. Yeah. But hopefully you can be strong enough to say, well, yeah, I'm just going to. I'm not. I'm not going to go down that avenue. Um, and when all and because we've always in the past said that the one of the big issues with running clubs is that they cater for people who are generally established runners or naturally very good runners. And the good thing about social media is it allows people who don't necessarily have a community to find an online community for support, which. I'm assuming because of that, those two, those crossover, it's going to be a lot of people who who are new to running, who are yearning for that community and that knowledge and that understanding. Do, do you know a good way in which people can use social media to enable them to get that support without falling into the traps of Harrison and assuming that, you know, everyone is is better. Um, if you wanted to, if if you wanted to take a simple way out of it, anyone that is anyone that is uh, kind of touting themselves as an influencer or 
they've got 10 different companies listed in their thing, but they don't actually work in running, all that kind of stuff, then you can probably assume that they're using their social media to kind of leverage something, right? So you can take those people straight out and then you're just left with the people that are out running, yeah? And there's nothing wrong, like, although I might take the mix sometimes, if someone's just out, selfie, do their run, post it up on Instagram, yeah? And a lot of people will I find- I am them. here, Gary. You know that, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you, you can't tell me anymore that you don't work in running or you're not involved no, in the community anymore and you're not giving back to the community, are you? You're not doing what you're doing so that you can get your free pair of tights or you can get an arse rub off some weird company or something. You, you're, you're just in the community now, yeah? If you're someone that's in the community, it doesn't doesn't apply to you. But there's lot. I know lots of people that have got lots of Instagram friends. I met them at the, at the run show. Yeah, they'd never met, but then they met up a little bit, and and that's what can be good about it. Um, I've yeah, just, I, I've just lived in someone's house who was an Instagram friend that I didn't know for two weeks, Megan, and she's absolutely lovely. And I met the Beverly Athletics Club, went running with them, and it was all very like yeah. normal life. It wasn't weird, and it was absolutely lovely. And um, and yeah, I completely agree with you. Like there were bits of it where it's just like, especially like the running show, especially the ultra zone brought so many people from non-real life together. Yeah. Um, and also virtual running clubs, you know, like, like, like Bad Boy Running Club, for example, or Lonely Goat. Yeah. Like if you, if lockdown's done one thing, I think it's really encouraged the idea that we don't have to meet every week at track. Like we can do stuff together. Yeah. And I don't want to take away from, again, there's, there's lots of amazing clubs and the power of the tribe and the club and everything like that, I think is brilliant. Um, it's almost like what I missed out on. I went to a couple of clubs locally and it was the complete opposite. I was ostracized quite quickly. And the fact that I could run a little bit quicker made it even worse kind of thing, yeah? And the only guy that spoke to me in the first four sessions was actually the guy that was the only, the one person that was quicker than me. And he was a lovely guy. Everyone else just shunned me. Um, and it was quite obvious, coaches and everyone. Um, really? Whereas, do you think, what do you think now? Because I've, I've been in clubs where I think it's quite easy as the new person to feel as if you're being shunned, where actually a lot of people are just focusing on themselves yeah. and they, they just don't notice the new person. Like, did, did you actually feel that they intentionally were not engaging with you? And, and what do you think was fueling that? No, yeah, maybe not. Not at first, it wouldn't be intentionally. You're right. Everyone was just in their little bubbles and they're just involved in themselves. Yeah, but if but the fact that I'd been there for four sessions and yes, like I'm not someone that wouldn't speak to someone. I'm not shy in the corner or anything. I'm not all guns blazing either. But um, there was a the only conversation that would be having is what what is, what can I run 10k in or whatever. Yeah, and then you might tell them and then they might not speak to you again. Because you know, and they don't tell you your their 10k time. They just wanted to know mine, and then when I tell them it, and it might be quicker, then they won't speak to me again. Yeah. Um. And I'm again. It's not everyone. There's some great clubs around, and there's some local ones that are really good. Um. <clears throat> it's just some people have good experiences with clubs. Some people don't have good experiences with clubs. It's the same with the online thing. There's the thing is with my the, the club that I grew outside like outside of the personal training at one point there was nearly 200 members paying members per month in that club in the exact same area where there is a welsh athletics club that's what 15 pound a year yeah so for me mm. to be able to do that there must be something fundamentally wrong with that club otherwise i wouldn't be able to grow it to 200 paying members per month 
doing what I was doing. They'd all be that they'd all be over there, wouldn't they, where they're paying fifteen quid a year. Yeah. So, and that's that's yeah. exactly my experience of clubs is that I just always felt because I'd turn up and I'd do things like might have a cigarette at the end or I might suggest going to the yeah. pub, but they'd look at me like I was completely mental and just not talk to me. And 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 it happened a couple of times in London. I was like, I'm not gonna go. There was a certain club I went, I was like, I'm gonna give it a go. Couple call of times them out. I went. Call them out. I can't call them out because it's a <laughs> It's something to do with women running. Use it that way. But... I've been back to a club in Manchester and it was a great club, yeah? And there, there's a lot of talented runners there. And, and I think a lot of the time that's the case. When, when there's lots of talented runners and there's lots of that kind of thing, there's no egos there a lot of the time, mm. yeah? The egos seem to be in the people that are, are kind of, they've got an ego for no reason. Um, yeah. But I always feel like we should consider ourselves people first and runners second, regardless of whether we're at running club or not. And and but if you have a bad experience, you know, if you have a, if you go on your own to a club, it's a brave move to make. Like it's brave. Mm. If you have a bad experience a couple of times, you're not going to do it again. And I think yeah. with the, especially with BBRC, we've strived to make it as comfortable as as humanly possible for people and make it yeah. almost a social club support group first running club second and yeah we're going to do some coaching and yeah we're going to enter some events when covid's over and yeah we've done some great virtual stuff together but there's i don't want people bullying each other i don't want people bragging i don't want people saying how fast they are because we know we've got fast people we know we've got people that have you know like mike bisson he's a member of the club he just won the um cobain track 115 hours a man that's dnf'd most of the 100 milers he's ever done has come that far <laughs> And we're all like, I'll oh, chuck him out of the club. This is embarrassing. But we're all celebrating him at the same Wait time. Wait a minute. You told me I'd be coaching a load of people that don't do any running. You didn't tell me who's <laughs> do some good coaching. Oh, no, there are some fucking good runners in there. I mean, good as in. But they're not braggers. They don't go in and yeah. be like, look at what I've done. It's like um, they're encouraging to everyone else. And I think that's the thing that I love the most about it is it's not the way people perceive a club is. It's not like mm -hmm. you have to do this, you have to do that. It's humans first. And we all share an interest, that interest is running, and we all love it, and we all support each other. And that's the most important thing, as far as I'm concerned. I'm a hippie. Yeah. I would, my, my social media account, like I, I was already a full-time coach before I did anything on social media, so I, I almost count myself lucky. Um, I, I don't, and now social media is just there for me to, yeah, it's, it's there for work. If I, if I wasn't every post there's a reason to it yeah <laughs> there's no i'm not just on there that's why i don't need to leverage it for any kind of products or anything like that i've got a coaching business so it, it gives me it gives me freedom to do what i want on there really now if someone's new to running what would you say are the mistakes as a coach that you've seen people typically make or that they um kind of head towards before you pull them back yeah I, like I've come down to the same thing. I put it on like the document I sent to Ali before for, for the for the training. Um, people overestimate what they can do in the short term, and they underestimate what they can do in the long term. Everything kind of comes down to that when you're a beginner, because we live in a world where it's like I need to, I can lose two stone in a week, or I can can get stronger in ten days, and all this kind of thing. So a lot of people throw themselves into it. They go balls deep or whatever. Or whatever. And then they break themselves or they have a bad experience or something like that. And then if that keeps happening, then they just bin running off. Whereas, and it's a bit about expectation. So if you see Ali on Instagram running 100 miles a month kind of thing, if you just dive into Instagram, you could instantly be comparing yourself to Ali. Whereas Ali's got years of running behind her now. Yeah. So it's like, what again, 
bring it back. What do I want to achieve in the next three months? Yeah? If it's that I can just run for 20 minutes without feeling like I need to sit on a bench, then that's a great target to hit. We can do that very, we can do that in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, and, and how do people assess what a, a realistic expectation should be in those three months per se, um, 10 weeks? Because with running, you do actually see very quick improvement. Yeah. But, um, but also, you know, it, it then does become increasingly harder to get that improvement um, continuing. So but how I, I think the good thing about running is that you have this excitement at that improvement very early and that's what becomes addictive. So how how do you how would you recommend people actually set these goals where they're not going to get carried away and they're not going to get injured? Yeah, it's it's just setting some rules for yourself beforehand. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say, do a 10K, then do a half marathon and things like that. If someone wants to run an ultra marathon in three months, they should just enter that ultra marathon, yeah? Because you're going you're gonna to think about it one way or the other. But, yeah, when it comes to injury and things like that, if, you, if you're not doing some simple strength work, then you can do that straight away. If you're not at least kind of thinking about the way you're moving outside of running, then think about that. Um, but the body's great at adapting, yeah? So the, the problem comes is, how are you training? Am I just upping the distance week on week on week and piling on more volume to the point where my, your muscles and your tendons and your ligaments can't keep up? Because you're getting fitter quicker than your body is getting stronger, then, then yeah, you've just got to rein it in a bit. But you can add strength work into your running through hill sprints and strides and things like that. You can you can get mobile by doing some just dynamic movements beforehand. You don't have to spend hours sat on the living room floor doing it. Um, yeah, it's just adding in things like that to be honest, and and not being scared of having the big expectations, but just looking after yourself, being a bit sensible at the same time. Like if you're if you're if you can do three sessions a week for up to an hour. That's great, but rather than then looking to kind of up the distance in those sessions, can I squeeze an extra 30-minute session in somewhere else and break it up? Um, how, like do you, how do you deal with people who come to you and are like, I want to run an ultra, and it's like they've never, they've done like 5K, 10K. I want to run an ultra next week. And you're like, okay, um, you could, but you're going to kill yourself. And if I were you, I would do, because I always say if I were you, this is a real long-term program. And also it makes me feel a bit shit that I've spent like, what four or five years getting up to this level it doesn't just magically happen it's about consistency and stuff mm. and then they're like yeah but you're squat you don't believe in me man like i'm gonna go to somebody else like do you get people like that do you get people that are really impatient because i feel like social media again has basically made people want it now like, i want to run close to the stones now i want to run one community run now and it's like yeah. you can't and i feel like telling people you can't is squashing their dreams and i'm all about you know everybody can do everything dream big but do the work um so how do you how do you, what advice would you give people who are like you know don't have the patience basically to wait yeah i think some of that comes down to coaching experience so it's about reading the person if you came to me kind of thing i could be quite real with you and tell you to wake up a little bit and things like that the bottom line is like if 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 you want to just run an ultra in the next month then you probably can yeah because if you're just right at the start of your ultra journey most of these races they've got ridiculous cutoffs so it's basically a long walk 
Yeah, if if you came to me and said I want to run a sub fifteen minute five k in four weeks, then I'd be a lot more worried, and I'd have to tell you some home truths. But anyone can enter most of these ultras and just walk the bloody things. So then it just comes down to like managing their expectations. Like if you're planning on walking a lot, well, you're going to be walking a lot if you do this. So you better get good at walking first before running. Um. And that kind of thing, because you haven't got time to get good at running. And then some people will either go with it and some people they won't. Most people these days are, are kind of, they don't come into my club anyway, saying like they they already half know that they can they potentially do it. And then it's just my job to kind of keep them from getting injured or keeping them a little bit consistent, that kind of thing. It's It's not really, it's not my job to really tell them what they do and what they don't do. There's a fine line. Sometimes you're either you're coaching them, you're you're supporting them rather than actually kind of coaching them. I'm just supporting you, but I'm not kind of encouraging this. <laughs> yeah. And do you, do you find do you with find newer runners yeah, that yeah. failures actually is a a useful tool in in setting people's expectations? Like, do people almost need to have an injury or um, a massive crash out of a race? or a, a time that was nowhere near what they're expecting to get that sense of reality? Uh, yeah, because that's how everyone learns. Yeah, It's not my job as a coach to keep you safe from bad experiences, because I, as, long as, you, as long as you fail fast from it, I don't, I don't mind. Because that's exactly when I failed in my first half marathon, when I first failed in my first marathon, then I had a hunger to learn more about it. And most of the time, someone will have taken ultra marathon for an example, and they want to run it in six hours, and it takes them 12 hours. Then hopefully, I've set them up mindset-wise so that they come back to me and right, how can I make this better next time? Because whether I tell them to do it or don't, you're going to enter that marath ultra marathon, and you're probably going to be slower than what you think you might might have been. So what are we going to do about it next time? That kind of thing. And if people are because one of the things I think you learn most about your journey in running is actually how to understand your body and what pain is good, what pain is bad, what should be a concern, what can you train through. For someone who's new to running, what kind of checks can they do on themselves or is there an, is there an approach they should take to understand how to manage their body? Yeah, you can download my free MOT <laughs> on the Run Strong Club <laughs> website. Uh, but no, um, there is. You can go down the line of doing some specific exercises and things like that. But a lot of the time, I will just ask for a pain score from people, like one being nothing, ten being extreme, the worst pain you've ever been in. If you're just in what, like anyone, I coach mainly people that are over thirty, so. Anyone that's over 30 has usually got some kind of discomfort most days, especially if they run a bit. <laughs> so we're not looking for zero pain every day. I've got, like, especially the guys are like, oh, I've got a little bit of this niggle, I've got this in my back. I'm like, yeah, well, you're 42. Yeah, you can, <laughs> we're going to have these little niggles and pains. If it gets to like three or four out of 10, whether it's, um, whether it's a muscle pain or a joint pain or, an, or any of the, or bone pain, if it starts at that and it starts to increase during a run, that's when you you just need to cut the run, basically. And you either need to get advice from, first off, me, your coach, and then 
I might send you to the physio or go and see a good physio um, and nip it in the bud because and, and every time you see a physio, you should be able to learn from that physio. So it's like an investment. People think it's a cost. It's not. I, I've never been to my physio and not learned something um, that's helped me in future. What about mental pain? Like when, you know, there's so many different types of mental pain, but like the bit, the, the stuff which I find easy to deal with, which is that I can't do it. This is shit. I always know that that's going to go away. Um, but like the disappointment when you feel like you haven't performed properly or the fact you feel like you really prepared for a race, but then your stomach goes, even though you've been eating properly and you're just like, I never want to do it again. Am I any good at this? What about that? How do you deal with people who are just like, oh, I'm never going to do this again because that happened. And I thought I was doing all right. And I've tried really hard, but it's still failed. Yeah. Like we've, we've all been there when we've talked ourselves out of it. Yeah. Um, and I've been there too uh, a lot of the time. But so the main thing is a lot of people, they do, they, they plan for their ultra, first ultra, or their first race. They'll do the training and then the, the week up to it, they're, they're micromanaging every part of their kind of training up to it and their taper and what they're going to eat and things like this. And then they might have time goals and all this kind of thing. So what this is doing there, they're always planning for the best ever day. And nobody ever has the best ever day when they're in a race or very rarely. So I just get them to write down, right, think of some situations that could go wrong, start writing down the situations. And then in the next, in the second half of your page, what are you going to do about it? So when you sat there and you're relaxed and, it, and you can kind of think clearly, if your stomach goes and things like that, right, what, what can you do in that situation? If I slow down just through fatigue and things like that, right, what can I do in that situation? You, you've already pre-prepared for your worst ever day. Yeah. And then you have a, you've basically got a list of rules to DNF, not a list of reasons to just DNF. Like what are the what are the rules that will allow me to DNF this race? Yeah. And hopefully they won't be very many. It's kind of like broken bone, that kind of thing. Yeah. Otherwise, when you're fatigued and your decision making isn't there and yeah, there's people going past you, very easy just to pull the plug or just to slow down and walk. And most people, how, how often is, does this happen? They might walk for four hours, get to the last half mile and sprint it to mm -hmm. the finish. Yeah, that's not a physical thing. That's a mental thing. You've, talk, you, you've just pulled the plug mentally. Um, and people are at different starting points with this. But if you're going to pay attention to your training, to your kit, like how many people will spend hours and hours online researching kit, but they won't pick up a book and read about their bloody brain or something? Um, yeah. Like the new, the newest, the newest waterproof jacket isn't going to save you when you're feeling like shit in the middle of an ultra. And if your ultra is going to be 18 hours long and you've been talking shit to yourself for 10 hours of that, of course you're going to feel like rubbish. You need to, you need to have pro clear processes in place to put yourself back into a good position. And yes, you might be moving slower. You might feel like you're going to be sick and things like this. But if you speak to anyone that does well at this sport, they've got they've got clear processes to think about when they're in that situation. Mine is bangers. That's when the bangers come. I don't listen to music anymore when I run, but but I'm like mile seventy five for me is the is the point where I'm like you've got now got fifteen miles of <laughs> you beating the shit out of yourself. So that's when Little Mix and Taylor Swift come out, yeah. and then I'm like, oh, it's all right now. They yeah. said bangers. Like, um, they like the Chimp Paradox stuff, and that, that's what's called at like. The, like throwing your monkey a banana, throwing your chimp a banana, it's like a distraction technique. 
So you can have all kinds of techniques that you can distract your brain or you, or you can do, you can stimulate it, you can change your state in a hundred different ways. Um, it might be that you need to chat to someone briefly. Yeah, someone or not. That, no one's telling yeah. you to shut the fuck up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but if you don't if you don't plan that beforehand, you're just winging it, and you don't want to be relying on our stupid little brains when you've been on your feet for eighteen hours and you haven't eaten for ten hours, do we? Now, for people that are at the stage where they've been running for a while and they're looking to improve, increase, go further, what would you say are the main things they can do to achieve that, and, and what would you also say are the main errors that you see people assuming or making um yeah i think i just i don't i'm not a big fan of just increasing the volume of running as in time of running so the old kind of oh you just need more time on your feet you need more time on your feet it's not always that's not always the case like if you if you take a good kind of marathon training plan and tweak it a bit then you can do very well in, a, in an ultra um I think that's one of the main things. It's like, are you, how much quality are you having in your week? Are you just going from a two hour long run to a six hour long run that you then spend the next week recovering from so that you can do another six hour, hour long run? And I know that might sound at the extreme kind of level, but that's essentially what some people do. Um, so, so yeah, it's about keeping the quality in the week. Hopefully you've got to that stage and then, and then just making tweaks. Just because you've gone from 50 miles to 100 miles, not, it's not that you necessarily need to double your amount of training. Um, it might need you might need to be a bit smarter with your strength work and even dial in your nutrition a little bit more and look after your sleep. But yeah, it's mainly keep the quality and don't go battering yourself, to be honest. Yeah. And, and are you saying strength work? You mentioned hill running before. Is that the primary strength work that you see runners needing to do or do people need to be doing plyometrics or do they need to be getting into the gym doing weight? Yeah, it's, I mean, a lot of it will come down to it, right? What have you got available? Can you Have you got the time and you have you got a gym available or some simple hand weights that you can use? Because I would much rather than do two sessions a week, 20 to 30 minutes of some movements, some squat, deadlift, things like that, yeah, as a, as a baseline before they start worrying about like banded crab jumps and things like this. Yeah. So it's, it's about getting strong uh, first. So it's not about how strong can I get or how much can I lift, just how strong do I need to be to do what I want to do? That's where people get it wrong a little bit. It's not how much can I lift and things like this. Um, so yeah, it's starting there, to be honest. If they can't do that, then it's okay. The alternative to that is we can do that at home. Um, and yes, you might not be as strong as you, you want to be, but it's damn sight better than if you were just rolling around on your phone roller or sitting in front of the telly trying to do a stretch and things like this. There's nobody can tell me they haven't got time to do two strength sessions a week because I, I would always just say to them, like, what's your screen time on your phone? And, and they'll either tell me to off or, or they'll, they'll get with it then. Yeah. And do you find that that's the biggest hesitance, that the hardest thing for runners to introduce into their mentality and also into their schedules? I think so, but I, I don't think it's for any other reason that they think that they haven't got time. And that's because when, when you when you start going down a rabbit hole of trying to look like what if you typed in strength exercises for running, it's you, you, 
you're just overwhelmed with information and then if like i like i regularly go and check out other people's stuff like what what strength work like what strength classes are they running and things like this i'm talking to other coaches and it might be like online for an hour it's like people haven't got an hour if you told mm. me if you told me to do three times an hour strength running well i'm only running three hours a week some people and you want me to add this on so then they just don't do anything um I've got people that'll just do right, just do five minutes of calf raises every other day for me because that's all they've got time to do. Um, so it's like, what time have you got? Tell me what time you've got, and then I'll give that to you. And if you're not got a coach or anything like that, it's like figure out what time you can make available, two times thirty minutes, and then fit what you can in. Simple couple of movements. Don't go thinking that you need to be jumping around the front room for an hour because you don't. And, and do, you, do you think that's just too much information in general? Too much information in general. It's, again, going back to Instagram, everyone's got 10 different exercises for one bloody muscle. And, and it's when you could just do it in, in a tenth of the time. It's people trying to impress you with information and things like this when it's, it's not that complicated, really. Um, yeah if you're looking at rehabbing and things like that then yes you might need to be more specific but you can do a lot with 20 minutes and just a couple of movements like i said if you say you start off with a squat a deadlift a hip thrust then like that maybe some push-ups if you want to do some upper body work you're talking four or five movements do it twice a month uh, sorry twice a week and that will give you progress if you do it once a week you will keep that progress the general rule um I always yeah. feel like the ones online, yeah, you're right, the ones online, like, you need to do this four times a week for 20 minutes, and it's like, that yeah. just seems insurmountable. It's not, but it does seem like it, no. and um, it's off-putting, because it's like, well, and that, if I can't do it four times a week, it's no point me doing it at all, and that's kind of how my brain works, which is ludicrous, which yeah. is why I never do it. So, yeah, I think maybe just like, doing, I, like, I, five I, minutes. I run a strength class on a Saturday morning for, that, for the members, and it's 30 minutes long, yeah, because I know if they've got 30 minutes and it's at set time, they'll come and do it with me. If I say it's an hour kind of thing, it's, who wants to do that for an hour, really? Nobody wants to do the strength work, do they? Nobody wants to go to the gym, especially if you're a runner. It's, but if I told you you could do that in 20 minutes at home, then you haven't got an argument, that's the first thing. I'm, I just try and take everyone's excuses and arguments out of it. And if you still don't want to do it, then don't fucking, sorry, don't do it. <laughs> but don't tell me that you can't do it. You might just need to... <laughs> You might need to reset your thinking a little bit. And are there strength exercises that people can do at home if they've got a young child or other than, you know, <laughs> just picking up the baby and... The young child specifically, right? Well, I, I guess there, there, are, there certainly are people who yeah. are limited in their ability to get to a gym versus actually having time. So, yeah. um, which typically is when you've got young children, but if people are constrained to houses or constrained in offices, you know, are there some easy exercises that you've mentioned calf raises, for example, yeah. anything else that you think are really beneficial that people can actually squeeze in? Yeah, people can start off with stuff like a split squat. Yeah, so a squat is, is a good exercise. But there are, there's some caveats where some people might have issues with a squat. So if you turn it into a split squat, which is a, essentially a lunge, but you're not moving anywhere and you're just going up and down, it's a brilliant exercise for a runner. Can you, have you got a chair? So then I can do some hip thrusts, step ups. Yeah. All of a sudden, those movements are pretty much hitting what you need as a runner. 
Um, with your calf raises, can you just bend the knee for another set so then you're hitting a different part of your calf, which is one of the most important things to kind of keep away plantar fasciitis, Achilles injuries, things like that. Um, yeah, it's just basic things like that, really. You don't need to go buying loads of gym kit. You don't need to go buying heavy things that you're worried about. It's just start there, really. And and when runners then move to trying to be advanced or trying to really push themselves or they look at the multi-days or the 100 milers, um, what, what kind of elements do they need to consider? And, and where do you see people going wrong there? Um, yeah, well, first off, I've only done one multi-day. <laughs> but I think when you're training, it might be controversial, but you can't you can't very well train for a multi-day because the whole nature of it, it's not, you're putting yourself into a, a big hole. So a lot of it just comes with time and experience, but a lot of people haven't got that. So what can I do instead of it? And yeah, it's, it's about getting strong and keeping the quality. If it's a 100 miler, then... Yeah, too many people will want to run like 500 k's in the lead up to my 100 miler or they race too much leading up to it and people are like magpies with races these days and I get it because I was there I was racing every other weekend um but then it comes down to again managing your kind of expectations in the one race that you thought that you wanted to enter it that kind of thing you don't get elite marathon runners running 10 marathons a year for a reason like the East Africans, that money is a lot to them. So if they could, they'd be running every weekend. Yeah? But it's just not, they can't do it. It's not sustainable. So we should almost keep that model to ourselves. Pick a race, commit to it, and yes, have some build-up races, but be sensible about it. Um, entering too many races, like from my, all my years in coaching, that's one of the biggest problems. But then the people doing it almost also know it's a big problem. They know that they're doing it. So it's you can't really win that then goes back to me well i'll support you through this but i'm not encouraging it again um, and if you get injured then that's on you and if you win then that's on me basically yeah, I, 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 whenever i'm doing in non-covid times i would race not race i would enter races but not race so i'd enter them for the social long mm. run a practice of social long runs and practicing eating and also watching what the people do wrong I love you're you're an outlier in that though before you go mm. on because majority people cannot enter a race and do what you're saying and i i know from from what i know of you that is 100 percent true so i'm not questioning it but the majority of people i coach when they say oh i've just entered a marathon i'll take it easy it's like you can't take a marathon easy mate <laughs> well i think it's really good practice taking doing it and taking it easy because if you're going to run 100 miler you've got to take it easy at the beginning you've got to take that first yeah. 50 miles easy yeah. so practicing not being competitive is key surviving if I could get everyone miles. to do what you're doing there then brilliant because you think about it there's checkpoints set up as there will be in a race so you're used to that you wear a similar kit so you know all that kind of stuff yes that would be a brilliant way of doing it it's just that like majority of people and a hundred percent of males i was gonna say that. it's men it's <laughs> fucking men isn't it they can't help themselves whereas i'm happy just walking along eating saurine at mile four and they're just off at seven and a half minute miles and throw up at 80 and start crying yeah, but it's just a warm-up. I'm just taking it easy while yeah. they're keeping the push. Yeah. Do you think it's almost worth, then, people from the start actually steading in races that they run where 
their target time is to do it below a certain pace rather than above a certain pace. I've tried that in the past. It's like enter this race and your target is, yeah, it might be an hour or an hour and a half slower than what we know that you can potentially do it. That is your target. And sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. Like, like the, the other thing is I've kind of, ch- as time has moved on, I changed my mind a little bit because I've got to be wary of encouraging people to just spend money left, right and centre. Mm-hmm. Like if someone's spent, it's not cheap these days. Sometimes they're spending 70, 80, 100 pounds on a race as a warm-up. It's like, no, let's not do that. Just go and do what you want to do in that race. Yeah, commit to it if you want. If if money isn't an issue and you're fine with it, then yeah, let's use it as a training race. But it's very difficult for people to do it as a training race, yeah. Now, I've, I've asked in the group for questions, but um, because I posted a picture of an actual coach, <laughs> out of the... Oh, oh, oh wait a minute. I am an actual coach. I've got four, I've got four GCSEs. He's posted a picture of David Goggins. <laughs> and when I say an actual coach, I mean a physical coach, the, a bus, a bus type coach. I saw um, it this afternoon, yeah. Yeah, so out of the 40-plus the questions, only one of them seems to be a legitimate question. One of them! <laughs> and one of them that I'm going to ask in the fact that the fact it may be a legitimate question. So this is from Steve Lovell. It's, what's the difference when you do intervals in doing sessions, for example, like 6 times 800 versus 5 times 1,000? Um, and also... What is the difference in the length of time you have as your recovery between them? And, and how does that change the benefits? What does yeah. that mean? No, I think I know, what's his name, Steve? Steve, Steve Lovell. Yeah, I think I know, I know where he's coming from. How I would sum it up is like this. Um, so say those sessions would run at tempo. So you're kind of running at a tempo effort. Yeah, the 600s or 800s or whatever he was talking about. Um, like, like I've done some work on this recently and the amount of time that I give you, Hellard or Ali, as a tempo in that session, that's the important thing. So if I want Ali to run 20 minutes total at tempo, almost doesn't matter how I break it up, okay, as in training benefit and what we're trying to achieve. So then you're trying to, it could be race specific or it could be more importantly person specific. So if I want you to run like a, a good, if you're this, if you're kind of, if you're quite a well-trained runner, then your tempo effort should be what you could keep for an hour, yeah, um, kind of thing. Maybe maybe to a little bit lower. But so if you think about that kind of effort, and then you think, right, I want to run. Ali needs to run 30 minutes of that, but she's training for a marathon. Then your reps might be longer. If you're training for 5k, then I'm going to keep them shorter. Um, that kind of thing. But what I think what he's saying is, it almost doesn't matter. If it's 800 or 1,000 and things like that, then the recoveries just come back to, again, more the person. Um, obviously, if you're not as well trained, you will need more recovery. If you're not, then you want to get those recoveries as close to the tempo effort as possible, really. Yeah. But there are, like, for example, I, I do, I used to do reps with the club and I would never run at the equivalent of my hour pace. It would always be, yeah. even 5K pace would be slow. I'd, I'd probably do slightly slower than 5K pace if I was doing six times one miles, for example. Yeah, you're right, yeah. 
but, but, but within that I'd have there, there could be a huge difference between some sessions where it might be 16 times 400 so actually the pace that I'm running those 400s is faster than I'll ever do in any race because I'll, I'll never run I'm not a mile runner and, and that versus the equivalent of um, four times one Ks there's obviously a huge disparity in the speeds that I'm running there would that have the same impact on me or is is it the fact that one sh shorter distance higher pace training me for a, you know more of a 1500 one mile and the the, the four times one case is, is training me more for a 5k pretty much yeah so you're looking at kind of you're trying to recruit the different muscle fibers that will suit your race yeah so um yeah short answer is yes it, it is more, it's more what you what am i training for what distance am i training for it, when you're talking especially very lower kind of distances it would matter more so if you're training for the mile the 1500 the 5000 although that's not my area of expertise then yeah you're just looking to recruit more muscle fibers that will yeah so you can run faster basically once you get if you're not training for those specific kind of races then yeah that's when it kind of comes in i just want i think ali can run 30 minutes at tempo or that's what i want I'm going to break it up this way or I'm going to give it to it on a hill so you would use the same thing but on a hill like a long hill rep because then it reduces you won't be running as fast but your body is it's the same response in your body and it reduces your injury risk and things like that a little bit more so actually if, if we wanted to determine our own reps we'd think about what we're hoping to run at the distance but also Check, thinking about our pace at say an hour our pace for five uh, five miles mm -hmm. and then working it back to actually think about how long how many reps do I think I can handle and at what distance with how much break for me to achieve that pace throughout yeah. them yeah yeah exactly that and, and you're trying to and the, the, I guess the goal is when you get more race specific you would hopefully try and reduce that um rest time or recovery time a little bit more and um, so sometimes the biggest problem with those is with with what i'd call like the, the middle of the pack kind of runners then there's too much of a difference between them going all out for the 400 800 1200 and then i almost have to walk for the recovery um you almost you're almost you're always better off trying to kind of reduce that kind of difference in the recovery and and the bigger effort yeah and is it also worth considering how much of other training you're doing in the week? So say you are running just a huge amount of mileage, you might want to increase the time in between the reps so that you, you can run the speed you're wanting to train at without actually ruining yourself too much. Yeah, I mean, if, you're, if you've got to a point where you've got big volume kind of thing, yeah, then... Yeah, and you've got more quality in there, then you might, you've probably got two quality sessions in per week, as in quality, as in the faster reps and things like that. You're doing it that way, um, to be honest. Once you're at higher volume, like the majority of people that are at that higher volume should, I mean, they should be, they should almost know what they're doing to an extent anyway, or they've just 
it's come over time. A lot, this is what you see the majority of the time. They've just trained with a club for X amount of years, or they've mm. learnt themselves and done the same thing for X amount of years. And yeah, as long as you're consistent and you've built volume and you've kept that quality, then you'll continue to improve. Um, the, a lot of people, again, if you call them the mid-pack runners, um, yeah, if they're only running three hours a week, I'm not worried about adding more reps in and things like that. I'm like the, the biggest way they can make an improvement is can we squeeze a fourth hour out? Yeah, can we get you out the house for another run, extra run a week? If you're only running four hours, the rule is still well, we could probably get you to can we get you to five hours a week? Um, it's still a very small amount of your week spent running, really. Now, this is a good question from Shane Fenn. It's What's the best tactic to run as many miles as possible in a month um, for a bet? It's a one-off, so it doesn't matter if my legs fall off the day after it's over. Also, it has to fit around the nine-to-five workday. <laughs> I answered that answer. in the group. I said, just put your Garmin on a dog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, could, you could fiddle the track and trace system so that they have to have self-isolation or something. I think they could do that. But... Um, yeah, it's difficult. I don't, I almost don't know the answers to that. You're gonna yeah, have fucking to, get a treadmill, like a treadmill desk. What you got to do is get a treadmill I, desk. Yeah, if you, you wanted that good. much, I wouldn't be going to work. No. Yeah, I'd be if I wanted to win that bet. I wouldn't be do doing the it accumulator. In, it was what? Do the accumulator. Do the accumulator. Take the last week off work, and you've won. Yeah. Well, you could do the accumulator, but I think you'd need to. You would need to pack it in earlier a bit. Doing one mile and two mile, that's not going to cut it. You'd have to, <laughs> you'd have to jump a few steps. Um, yeah, you're better off sabotaging the other person than putting yourself through that. <laughs> I've, got a I've got a question for Gary. Gary, imagine yeah. if a race company put on a race that was 1,000 miles the length of the UK <laughs> and 35 days, and you entered it, and it was in two and a half years. So about 35 miles a day on about 70,000 feet of ascent. How would you go about training for that? Um, I'd teach my kids how to be without their father for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would. It's one of those ones. Um, I think you would, as long as you, like that, that kind of journey, it's a journey, it's not a race, isn't it? It's a, yeah. your challenge. You've got to be in it for the right reasons. Um, and hopefully most of the people that would do that are. Once you've got that nailed, you've just got to start early and start early with the basics that we were talking about before. It's not about just going from 30 miles a week to 100 miles a week straight away. It's how can I leverage my week so I've got a little bit more time long term? Um, and yeah, it might just be getting a bit real with yourself and looking at your screen time. It might be getting up 30 minutes early so you can spend 20 minutes doing some strength work. But if you get strong early, if you learn about your body a little bit early um, and just and just kind of go with it, doing the simple stuff from the start, not leaving it until six months out, then then everyone will be OK. It's 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 a massive challenge. But when you break it down into 35 miles a day, um, it's it's achievable. Yeah. Yeah, and like you say, you can walk 35 miles in a day if it's June, yeah. which it will be. Yeah. This is this is Run Britannia, everybody, by the way, which yeah. will be launched by the time this comes out. It's a new rat race uh, event, yeah. which is 2023. So that kind of challenge, like you say, the, most people are going to spend a lot of time walking. So it'd be the same as if someone was like, I want to run UTMB. It's like, well, you're going to do a lot of hiking, so we're going to have to work on your hiking. 
So if you're planning, if you're not going to run 35 miles a day, then how can we add more walking into your week? Um, kind of thing, because that's just what's going to happen. I'd also say to if you if you're going to do strength exercises, it's it's quite a tendency to feel that you need to get good at running or need to get fit before you add them in. But actually, it's really hard to add in strength exercises once you're training a lot because yeah. it, it the impact and the shock to your body of that first training session will completely knock you out of everything else. So get training weights and or strengths as soon as you can into your schedule so that by the time you're doing a lot of miles it's just background noise as opposed to someone screaming yeah it's a, that's a good point it's like most people when they're starting that challenge then they they've probably got more time to do the strength work because they might not be maybe as far down the line with their running journey or whatever you want to call it they might not be as fit so they once you get to that point where you, your volume is quite high and you're running, like Ali might know this, the last thing you want to do is take that time away from your running because now you can run for hours on end and mm. do your strength work or do your rehab and things like that. Um, whereas if you do it early when you basically can't run for 100 miles a week, then that's when you should be building it in and that's when you'll feel the benefit later on. The thing I, I mean, I hate, I hate the strength training stuff, and I do do a little bit of it, but not as much as I should. But what I do make sure I do is I make sure I'm always, always active. And I lived in London for a yeah. long time, so I didn't use a car every day like everyone else yeah. does. So you know, even if it's like I'm just not going to take my car today, and I'm going to march to work, like just march out walking, or I'm going to go downstairs, go and do some stuff in the warehouse with boxes and lifting them above yeah. my head. It all counts. That stuff during the day that you can do all counts. You mm. don't need to sit there with a yeah. set like of dumbbells a and a fucking elastic band. Yeah. You can put it that's into probably, your day. Like, that's a whole different podcast probably. Like if you think about the amount of hours you run per week compared to what you're doing outside of it, that's why that's why it's important to me. It's like if you can, Ali comes to me and I want to coach them, it's like, well, what, what do you do outside of running? Because if you sit in an office for six hours a week then then it's different to if I'm coaching a, a nurse who's on their feet for 90 hours a week yeah mm. kind yeah. of thing so this yeah, is why all the best ultra runners are nurses and doctors and vets they are yeah and, 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 oh, in manual jobs yeah some of the best ultra runners I know are kind of they might be shepherds like mm. that. yeah um because outside the, their body their body is fit and strong before they start to run if we're just like a, sat in the office all day every day and then we want our body to perform how we want it it's not it doesn't work that way and then um, who is the worst person you've ever coached you don't have to name them but give the story of an absolutely coaching disaster or something where someone's got it so badly wrong um i, <sighs> I don't know about running performance wise that like i don't usually have those bad experiences I had a lady um, who we, we potentially had to call the police on just because she wouldn't leave me alone and um, turn up at the house and yeah and then got off, like sending me messages when she was drunk and her husband was sending me messages and they weren't, they, they weren't even nasty messages they were like why won't you get with my wife and stuff like this what so, yeah wow so, yeah it was just really like the oddest thing um yeah it's like I I was coaching face to face at the time, so I said, "Look, this isn't. We we can't keep like." She would come to a session and full makeup, perfume, that like, like, yeah. It was. I'm not 
not an idiot. I'm not completely good at reading signals, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it's on a slippery slope with this lady anyway. Yeah, so we no, shouldn't be doing that. No, no, try not to. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess it's different these days with, with social media. Yeah, but um, the other day, the other day, someone messaged me and said that they were like having a bad time and they felt unmotivated. So I was like, if you want me to give you, I don't know who they are. Someone off the internet. So if you want me to give you a call, like if you want, I typed. If you want me to give you a call to give you a kick up the ass, let me know. But it, but it changed the message, changed the word to say, if you want me to give you a call to give you a lick up the ass. <laughs> yeah. Then I was like, yeah. oh my god, what sort of coaching are they going to think this is? My phone's going to be on fire. So you Good motivation. Mistake. You could have just made a mistake like that, Carrie, and just not known about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that, uh, is that what Project Awesome is? <laughs> it's, not, it's not Project Awesome, it's Ultra Awesome. <laughs> Ultra yeah. Awesome, All right. <laughs> yeah, I don't, there's not many bad experiences. Sometimes people just, um, it's almost like a, a clash of personalities where they're so data-driven and so kick-driven and so kind of, yeah, so driven by the, the things that I'm not driven by and the things that I don't mm. cook. We, we just haven't, it just hasn't worked out. Um, but I've got a pretty good filter system these days. Like you see from the social media, it, like you see my social media, anyone that likes that will end up on my email list. Anyone on the email list will maybe apply for coaching. There's no other way in. So you can't, so everyone that ends up in my group already know how I work. They know what they're getting from me. They know that they might be the old swearer or anything like that. Um, so it's almost like a filter of people to come in. And before that, yeah, I would end up training a lot of people that I, you didn't get on with and things like that, um, to be honest. Has anyone I mean, ever blamed was... you for not being good enough, for, for them not being good enough? Has anyone ever said the reason that I've been shit at this race is your fault, Gary? <laughs> not to my face. I'm I'm 100% sure there's people out there, like, I've been around that long, um, and potentially that is the case. Like, this whole coaching thing, it's just it's it's educated guesswork, and I might have a better educated guess than than Ultra Runner ninety six on Instagrammer, but it's still guesswork. I don't have all the answers, and the best and anyone coach that thinks they do, they don't. The best coaches know that it's guesswork, and and it's kind of working with you. Okay, what product in running do you think is the most useless rip off product that you <laughs> know of? Uh, foam roller. <laughs> Oh, it's not even a, it's not even a rip off because it, I guess it's not cheap. It's apart from yeah, it's not cheap. It's cheap, but yeah, that's the biggest one. Yeah, and I get asked that daily because it's people get offended that I tell them that they, there's no use. Well, you know, I've, I actually I know that they've looked. There are some studies to show it, but I, all of my injuries that I've ever had, I can track back to the fact that I've not stretched a certain area and I've had three where track back to the fact you used a foam roller (laughs) (laughs) and so actually that is one of the things I'd have gone back and maybe not use a foam roller but um I certainly would have done maybe not necessarily just the stretches but things like yoga or um having a a massage every now and then just as a checkup because i found you know i am incredibly tight often in some mm. areas and i need to to stretch those areas because it, it has become too much of a build-up and then snapped or um or just not worked so i'm i know you're, no, that's you're, completely you're, different so if you think why do people buy a foam roller why is a foam roller sold to you yeah it's not to 
not to go to yoga and it's not to do, and have a massage although it's they try and tell you that it's to mimic a massage but people if i asked 100 people why they're using a foam roller it's because how it's sold to them it's about because i'm breaking up muscle and fascia and i'm lengthening the muscle and things like this and like now we know that that's just not that's just 100 percent not true what it is doing is getting people to slow down and sit down and maybe have a bit of a stretch as well as sitting on the foam roller but the foam roller itself is not doing anything you would get exactly the same result if you just relaxed on a recliner and had a beer in front of netflix yeah so yes not, i knew it <laughs> yeah it's not it's not the it's not the act of recovery that i'm kind of getting at it's the like the product the foam roller it hasn't got a use um yeah know, it's, it's a pretty good doorstop if it makes you feel good yeah then that's now i get people coming back but it makes me feel good and it works for me well that, that's great but it's not a foam roller you can get the same what if i told you, you get the same result from yeah sitting and watching netflix or yeah things like that and, and just for my own knowledge then were you saying that using a foam roller doesn't actually stretch the muscles out then no no so a lot of the, so if you look into the research now and there's been tests done and someone like uh, Mike James endurance physio hammers this point home they did like a cadaver thing so they they took they took the tendons and things like that and it was and they hang it and it was something like 100 kilogram of weight or sorry a ton of weight to stretch to stretch it out um tendon an inch straight away as soon as they took that off it returned back to normal anyway so even if it did do that, which there's no one putting that amount of pressure through through the body, even if it did, it returned straight away. Um, but yeah, what like what you're saying is because I had the foam roller, maybe it encouraged me to relax and maybe I had a bit of a stretch out and stuff like that, which I'm not I'm not against. And if you go to do yoga or Pilates and things, these can be great for to add into your running. Um, yeah, but as a specific product, it's pretty redundant. Unless you get a bouncing one and sit on it, that's 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 the only thing. So uh, we are sponsored by Pulse Roll. Uh, today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I'm not. <laughs> no, we're not. We're not. We've, but they, uh, we have been in the past. <laughs> weirdly, weirdly, they cut ties with us when Hedard made a song up about their foam rollers being vibrators for whales or something like that. Yeah, they are well. The... I've got a foam roller. I used to teach a foam roller in class, and I used to teach bullshit about trigger points and things like this but i'm not i'm not scared to be wrong anymore so i was not that i was wrong it's just i was now i know more yeah and now we've moved on in the science and stuff so people get this problem is because everybody's got an opinion on instagram mm. and stuff mm. i'm not to base this on my opinion this isn't my experience with a phone roller this is what i know from what people with a, a lot more brains than me figured out um and I'm just like anything I, not attack, but if I tell someone this, it's from a good place. If you're spending 45 minutes on a foam roller and I know that you can get a better result doing 20 minutes doing some strength work, then that's me trying to help you. It's not me just, I don't know why everyone's so defensive about their foam rollers and stuff. They should be rejoicing that they, they can- Fucking hate mine. I hate my foam roller. I hate it. I've got three downstairs. <laughs> I bought them when I was, did my first marathon. I don't know why I hate them. I've still got one and it's still knock, knocking about and I don't, it's like, you, but you, you get kind people invest in things, don't they? It's the same with the watch debate. It's the same with any debate. If you invest money into it, then you, your, your opinion almost doesn't count. Mm. If you kind of thing, if you spend 500 quid on a watch, that's the best watch, isn't it? It's not the one that it's not the, 
600 quid or the 400 quid one, that's the best watch because you bought it. Um, yeah. I used to have the same thing with Epsom salt baths and all these kind of things. And then once, if you learn and you and you admit and you're okay to be wrong sometimes. And where do you seek your knowledge from? Which sources are you checking? So, yeah, so when I got into it, I, I just went down every rabbit hole going. I was spending time with coaches and movement coaches and barefoot coaches and things like this. And now I've got, like, we've got a small group of peers, like coaches that respect each other on WhatsApp, so I go to them. Um, and, and the rest of it is just, like, you've got to imagine I'm working from home all day every day, so I've got time to either research it myself or listen to a podcast full of scientists that no one else has really listened to. Um, yeah, so I'm, if you think about it, I'm here for X amount of hours every day learning about this stuff as my job. And I've done so for 10 plus years. Whereas, and it's not that you can't do this, but if you're a coach that's doing it for a couple of, writing a couple of plans at the weekend, like in my opinion, it's just, it's just not the same thing because this is, this is my job, it's my career. I have to know about it, yeah? Someone asks me what foam rolling exercises should I do and I'm telling them the wrong thing, then that's on me, isn't it? I'm just trying to limit that. So, yeah, sources, I just find people that are brainier than me and then I try and simplify it to people like you. Brutal. Brutal. We're going so well for then. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Amazing. Well, you're going to be part of the the group of the club. Um, so if, if people want you know, to get involved with the club, then Gary's now going to be um, dishing out wisdom. But if, if people want to approach you personally or to follow you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, yeah, they can follow me on Instagram uh, at GaryHouse underscore. The website is therunstrongclub.com. That's about it. But yeah, you can send me messages once I'm in the club challenge me like I'm quite like I've got an opinion but I like to be challenged you can ask questions um yeah or if you if you don't like what I'm saying just hit kind of unfollow that's fine too <laughs> well thanks so much Gary for firstly agreeing to come on the other podcast but also for, for being our coach and if there's anything we can do to, to help in the future you know where we are already so um yeah I've thanks again Admit I was a clone to be messing around But that doesn't mean that you have to leave town Come back Yes, and give me one more try